Good morning, everyone. Can I uh, have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6? We are studying the book of Matthew on Sunday morning here at Calvary, and we are in a section that runs from chapter 5 through 7, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And we've just finished the longest section of the sermon, which ran from verses 21 to 48 of chapter 5, a section where Jesus was dealing with heretical teaching. And now starting in chapter 6, he moves from heretical teaching and begins to address the subject of hypocritical living. And again, this was directed primarily at the scribes and Pharisees, who were not only faulty in their theology, they were, you know, phony in their piety, which those two things often go hand in hand. In this section, which runs from verse 1 of chapter 6 through verse 18, Jesus gives three examples of hypocrisy in religious practices, and then commands his disciples to practice these things, but not like the scribes and Pharisees, to do these things with a pure heart. And the three areas that Jesus zeroes in on are, first of all, giving, which is essentially religion toward others. Then praying, which is religion towards God. And then fasting, which is, if you think about it, religion toward us in a sense, because it gets into the area of dying to self. And so in this section, Jesus is dealing with the proper approach to the spiritual activities of our lives. And then starting in verse 19 and going to the end of the chapter, he begins to lay out the proper approach to the physical needs of our life, food, drink, clothing, and essentially our attitude towards life itself. But in this first section, chapter 6, Jesus is dealing with hypocrisy in religious practices. But I want you to see that the hypocrisy is not in the act itself but rather in the attitude behind the act. It wasn't the act of giving or praying or fasting that the Lord was condemning. It was the motive behind it. Notice what Jesus told his disciples in this section. He says, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, verse 2, and when you pray, verse 5, and moreover, when you fast, verse 16, when, not if, right? When, not if. These are areas of devotion that are proper and even expected by God as important elements in our Christian lives. Again, the real issue here is hypocrisy. He said, when you give or pray or fast, don't be like the hypocrites. That's the idea. In fact, the word hypocrite actually comes from a Greek word that literally means mask wearer. And it was used of an actor on stage playing a part. In those days, they would have masks on sticks, right? And they would hold them up to their faces. And the masks had very exaggerated smiles or very exaggerated frowns so that even if you were in the back row, you could see who the good guys and the villains were. Well, that concept, Hippocrates, got transliterated into the English and came to mean putting on an act and pretending to be something you're not. In fact, when Jesus said in verse 1, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds to be seen by men. The Greek word for seen is a word that we get our English word theater or theatrical from. In other words, Jesus is saying when you do these things, don't put on a show. Look, it doesn't matter how well a person plays the part of a Christian. And folks, there are some who deserve an Academy Award because, boy, they can play the part really well. It doesn't matter 
how well a person can play the part of a Christian, God knows the heart. And no matter what we do in His name, no matter what kind of spiritual activities we're involved in, no matter how much we give to the poor, etc., if we don't do it out of a right heart, God rejects all of it. Now, I've entitled this first part of this section, Right Giving, which covers verses 1 through 4. And before we look at what it means to give rightly, let's look at what Jesus said, first of all, was the wrong way to give. And so in verse 1, we read, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Charitable deeds. Back then, charitable deeds often took the form of gifts of money to the poor. In fact, some of the translations translate this righteousness instead of charitable. In other words, take heed that you do not do your righteous acts or your righteous deeds before men. This is because the scribes and Pharisees and many others in Israel at that time believed that to help the poor by giving them money was tantamount to purchasing righteousness and earning your salvation. That's why they believed that a rich man had a better chance of getting into heaven than a poor man because a rich man had the resources to give a lot of money to the poor and therefore buy his righteousness or his eternal life. Now, Jesus shoots that all to pieces. In fact, he talks about that in Matthew 19. We'll wait till we get there to really hit that. But there's no way we could ever earn or buy our way into heaven. Another faulty teaching, a heretical teaching, that the scribes and Pharisees held on to. So he talks about charitable deeds, doing them not to be seen by men. And again, Jesus is not condemning the act of giving to the poor. He's condemning the motive behind it. In fact, some have said this seems to contradict what Jesus said earlier in chapter 5, verse 16. When he said, let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, they glorify your Father in heaven, right? And so people say, well, that seems like a contradiction here. Look, it's not a contradiction. In Matthew 5, verse 16, Jesus is talking about letting our Christian lives be lived in such a way as the good things we do are obvious to everybody. But here, in verse 1 of chapter 6, he's talking about the motive behind the action. In chapter 5, verse 16, the acts in general, just the general things that we do for the Lord, you know, let your light shine. Let your love and your kindness and all these, let it shine in your life. But when you do your deeds of righteousness or your, or your acts of devotion, make sure your motive is right because if it isn't, it's no good. That's what he was dealing with here. And once again, helping the poor was not only a good thing to do. Listen, it was something that God repeatedly commanded his people in the Old Testament they were to do. Starting with his command in Leviticus 19 verse 18, that they were to love their neighbor as themselves. As we've already shown, I think it was last time we met, Jesus defined neighbor as anybody who has a need. And how do we love them? He taught us by meeting that need. And so if you know somebody that's poor... Well, and you have the resources to help them. They become your neighbor, and the way you love them is to meet that need. But, you know, we could look at dozens, literally dozens and dozens of verses throughout the entire Bible where God shows his heart for the poor. I'll just read you three passages. You can mark them down. Proverbs 19, verse 17. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. Proverbs 29, verse 7. 
The righteous, the saved person, considers the cause of the poor. But the wicked does not understand such knowledge. The wicked, is clu- wicked are clueless because, you know, unsaved people, not all, but many, are self-focused. You know, when you become a Christian, you become Christ-centered and others-focused. And it shows in the way you respond to people and mostly in the way you meet needs. But God is saying, you know, it's the characteristic of saved people to keep in mind the poor, to, to be looking out for those who are less fortunate that we might be able to help them. Psalm 41, verse 1. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. And again, the problem that Jesus was condemning in these verses in Matthew 6, 1 through 4, wasn't the act of helping the poor, but it was in the hypocritical way the scribes and the Pharisees were going about it. So he says in verse 2, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, this statement by Jesus is based on something that was very well known to everyone living in and around Jerusalem at that time. Originally, there was an area to the side of the temple courtyard that was called the Chamber of the Silent. The Chamber of the Silent. And people would go there with their gifts of money and food to help the poor, and they would place it in a large chest called the Trumpet. And then the poor would come to this area and the priest would take money and things out of this collection box called the trumpet and they would give it to the poor. It was all done originally very quietly, very discreetly uh, and very humbly. But you know how that goes. Over time, people can corrupt what started out to be good. And so what happened was many began as they were giving to the poor, they began to quote unquote sound the trumpet. Well, what does that mean? Well, in those days, money was coins, right? For the most part. And the value was in the coin itself. So the thicker and heavier the coin, silver, gold, whatever, the more it weighed and the more valuable it was. And so when people that wanted to kind of sound the trumpet, in other words, draw attention to themselves as they gave, they would take coins. And a lot of times it was Pharisees and all who had the money to do this. But the wealthy did it too. They would take these expensive coins and they would throw them into this trumpet-shaped collection box and it would make a bang. And if you had about four or five coins, you know, bang, 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 you know, and people would turn around, whoa, see you standing there. And they knew from the sound of that noise, hey, you were just given a lot of money. Wow. Boy, I don't know what he gave, but it was a lot. Sounding the trumpet. Well, you know. As time went on, the Pharisees decided, well, you know, it wasn't practical to go all the way to the temple to give to the poor, probably because there wasn't enough people around there watching them do it. So they actually took little silver or brass trumpets and tied them to their belts. And when they wanted to give to the poor, they would stand on the street corner and literally sound the trumpet. And all the poor in the area knew, hey, that was some Pharisee who wanted to help me out. They would gather on the street corner. Here's the Pharisee, you know, everyone watching, you know, doling out the money with a lot of fanfare and, you know, uh, just really playing the part, right? And, and everybody would stand there and go, oh, what a, what a great guy, you know? Look at this guy. Boy, he really cares about the poor. Um, not so much. Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites. 
because they gave not out of concern for the poor, but that they might be seen by men. Jesus went on to say, if that's your motive for giving to the poor, <laughs> you better relish that moment in the spotlight because that's all the reward you're going to get. In fact, the Greek word for reward there was a business or a commercial term. And it literally meant receiving payment in full. We would say, if you give to the poor, looking for recognition from men, guys, that's a done deal. You've gotten all you're going to get in the praise of men. Therefore, you'll get nothing else from God. Of course, we don't see anything like this going on today in the church, uh, or do we? Uh, how many of you have ever watched a program on television or whatever where there was a church service or maybe a crusade and, and it was time to take the offering, which for some of these crusades and church services is most of the service. But it was time to take the offering and the pastor, the preacher got up there and said, now, which one of you is going to give $1,000? Stand up right now. And people would stand up and other people would go, ooh, wow, $1,000, wow. Jesus is saying, you better enjoy that wow and all those oohs and ahs. Because that's the only reward you're going to, you're not going to get any reward from God for what you're given. You know, conversely, as I've told you many times, I have stepped up to the pulpit on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning. And there's been an envelope laying up here with somebody's name on it. Or a family's name on it. And I know it had money in it. And somebody wanted to meet the needs of a family in the church. But they wanted to do it anonymously, quietly. And so I had the privilege of giving the envelope to the family. And I so appreciate that because that's really what Jesus said is precious in the sight of God. When we don't call a press conference, you know, as we hand the check to the orphanage director, you know, and the cameras zoom in and the flashes are going and, and wow, what a great person, you know. And, and, and God says, you know, don't give like that. If you're going to give to help people, do it quietly. And it's precious in God's. And I'm just blessed when I see that, you know. Let me just stop here before we go on and just give you some of the various motives for giving. We're talking about right and wrong giving. There are various motives that people have when they give. Some good, many are not so good. Let's look at these just quickly. Many people give to God, to a church, to a ministry, out of a sense of duty or obligation. Many people give to God not because they really want to, but because they were pressured or guilted into it. That's why, as I've said before, you'll never see the pastors here at Calvary, come to your house in the evening one day, you know, you never see Pastor Mike and I show up at your doorstep, you know, while you're watching a ball game or something, knock on the door, and here you come to the door, and your eyes get real big, what are you guys doing here, you know? <laughs> well, can we come in? Yeah, sure, you know, and make some coffee and sit down, and if we have a little small talk, we pull our pad and say, now, what can we put you down for, for the coming year? You know, what kind of pledges would, can we put you, now, we've got to tell you that, Five families in the church have already pledged this much. Well, you know, what are you, you're on the spot now, right? You, you don't want to look like a cheapskate in front of your pastors. Uh, uh, you know, okay, yeah. Yeah, put me down for that too. Great. But you know what happens then? Every Sunday morning as you're writing the checkout before church, what are you doing? You're griping, complaining, you know. You know, ambush me. I didn't really want to give this much money. You know, and, 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 you know, you're murmuring and complaining about it. 
And God is not blessed. It doesn't bless the heart of God when we give out of uh, grudgingly or out of obligation. God wants us to be joyful when we give to his work. So some give out of a sense of duty or obligation. Number two, many give out of a desire for personal recognition and glory. And this seems to have been the chief motive of the scribes and Pharisees when they gave. You know, it really wasn't out of a heart of compassion for the poor, but rather out of a selfish desire to glorify themselves in the eyes of people. Again, it's what the Bible calls seeking the praise of men. In fact, Jesus would go on to say to these Pharisees, you receive glory from one another, yet you do not seek the glory that comes from God. If you're in it for the recognition, it means you're in it for the glory that man gives to you. And Jesus said, well, you can do it for that, but that's all the reward you're going to get. If you do it with the right heart, God will bless you, and God will honor you someday in his kingdom forever. So a desire for personal recognition and glory, bad motive. God won't accept it. Number three, many give out of a heart of greed. You say, well, I don't understand that. How do you give out of a heart of greed? Well, you give out of a heart of greed if you've been promised a hundredfold return for what you give. Folks, this is giving out of polluted self-interest. In fact, it really isn't giving at all. It's what? It's investing. It's investing. It's greed masquerading as kindness and generosity. Is this a big one we see today? A lot of people are being told, if you give, God will give you a hundredfold in return. You know, you give one car, I'll give you a hundred cars. You give one airplane, a hundred airplanes. I'm not kidding you, I'm quoting somebody now. You give a thousand dollars, he'll give you what? A hundred thousand dollars? Whatever you give God, he's going to give a hundredfold back to you. Well, see, I'm not really giving that, I'm investing. I'm not giving to help others, I'm investing in me. And God rejects it. And then, of course, there are many who do give out of genuine love and concern. That's the only motive God really accepts. So we've looked at what Jesus said was the wrong way to give. Quickly, let's look now at what he said was the right way to give. Let's read verses 3 and 4. He said, But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Interesting statement by Jesus. When you help somebody in need by giving them money, he said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You say, well, how does that work? Well, he's not speaking literally now. He's speaking figuratively, of course. And in fact, I think John Stott, author, uh, really nailed this. He said, and I, I like this, he said, and I quote, there is no difficulty in grasping his meaning. Not only are we not to tell other people about our Christian giving, there is a sense in which we are not even to tell ourselves. We are not to be self-conscious in our giving, for our self-consciousness will readily deteriorate into self-righteousness. So subtle is the sinfulness of the heart that it is possible to take deliberate steps to keep our giving secret from men while simultaneously dwelling on it in our own minds in a spirit of self-congratulation. End quote. Boy, is that true or what? You know, not all of us have the kind of pride the scribes and Pharisees had that would literally stand on the street corner and blow a trumpet to, to showcase, you know, how much we're giving to the poor. But all of us wrestle with pride to some, in some form or another. 
And I can give to somebody in secret, and yet all the while in my heart I'm patting myself on the back. Man, you are something. (laughs) And God is going, yeah, you really are. (laughs) You know, you are just, who gives like you? Who is as generous as you in this whole church? But you are so generous. Patting yourself on the back and God's just shaking his head, you know. Be careful, okay? We are our own worst enemies, by the way. And look, let me just say this. You know, the whole subject of giving, I think, has really turned a lot of people off. And the reason is because it has been so abused. Again, you can't turn on Christian radio or television without constantly being bombarded by preachers who want to separate you from your money, all in the name of helping God do his work. I've always maintained that if God is broke and needs my help to do his work, he is much of a God. However, this is how many in ministry portray God. And then use manipulation, pressure, and guilt to push people into giving to his work to the point that really it has turned a lot of people off, not just from giving, but from God. I've talked to some people and I've said, well, why don't you come to church? Oh, I don't go to church. Well, why not? Because that's all they talk about is money. And certainly that's true in some churches. But you know what? It doesn't happen in all churches. And I personally believe that where God guides, he provides. So I never feel the need to put pressure on people to give to the work of God. I just feel that God is big enough to take care of that without the help of men. God's big enough to, to fund his work. He doesn't really need us. But listen. Even though God doesn't need our money, listen, we need to give it. We need to give it. We have to stop thinking of giving. And hear me out. This has been reinforced by a lot of preachers, again, on TV and radio. But we have to stop thinking of giving in terms of helping God, quote, unquote, and start thinking it in terms of growing me. Growing me. How does that work? Folks, I can't speak for you, but I can just speak for myself. I am very selfish and self-centered. This is something that I was born with, okay? And it's taken Jesus Christ to help me to be others-centered, not that I still don't walk in a lot of selfishness. We are selfish by nature. And you know what? At, at the core of it, it's all about doing what's best for me, what's going to help me, what's going to bless me. And giving to others, although God doesn't need it, I really need to give it because it forces me to be a little less self-focused and a little more others-focused. And that's important, isn't it? And so my position is, when it comes to, to teaching on giving, it's simple. My position is simple. When the Bible talks about it, I'll talk about it. Because we're just going verse by verse. If we come to a place like we have where the Bible talks about giving, we'll talk about it. If not, I won't bring it up otherwise. Now, that's not to say the subject of giving isn't, though, very important. Or that the Bible doesn't have a lot to say on the subject. It does. But again, if our giving is going to be acceptable to God, it has to be done in the right way, out of the right heart. Let me just end this morning by giving you quickly some principles of right giving. And I want you to turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8. Now, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 form the largest section on giving found in the Bible. The largest section on giving found in the Bible. 
And we see some tremendous principles come through in these chapters. I'll share with you four or five. Believe me, this is not exhaustive. There's a lot of other good principles for giving, but we'll just keep it with these, okay? First of all, and we've already touched on this, if giving is going to please the heart of God, it has to be willing and not coerced. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, Paul said, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, willing to give. What is Paul talking about? Well, Paul was out among the Gentile churches trying to gather a collection for the Christian Jews, the saints in Jerusalem, who were going through severe poverty and hardship. There was uh, persecution going on there against the church. There was a famine going on. And so these Jewish believers were under extreme hardship. He's talking to the Corinthians who lived in southern Greece, a province known as Achaia. And he was talking about the saints that lived in northern Greece, a province known as Macedonia. And so Paul says, look, you Gentiles have a great opportunity to show the Jews, the Jewish Christians, how much you love them. By meeting, they really need your help right now. And he says, you know, I was up in the Macedonia. And man, those Christians up there are dirt poor. I mean, dirt poor. But he says, according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing to give of this offering. Verse 4, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. You know, I think Paul is saying, you know, when I was up there, I saw how poor these Christians were. I said to them, you know, you guys are too poor to give. Just maybe pray for these saints. And they said, no, Paul, please take our money. Can you imagine that? That's probably the first and last time in the history of the church those words were uttered. Please, please take my money. We want to be a part of God's work. We want to help these people. But the point I'm trying to make is, first of all, our giving is going to please the heart of God. It must be willing. It must be done freely. Number two, giving must come from a surrendered life and a sacrificial heart. He said in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 8, And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. The reason that these Christians up in northern Greece were so willing to give a gift of money to help other Christians is because they had already surrendered their lives to the Lord. You know, it's, it's possible for a person to write a big check for a ministry and still be very proud, very self-willed, still be controlling their lives, basically. But Paul says what God is really after, because he doesn't need our money, he's God. What he's really after is our hearts. Because if he, if he gets control of our hearts, he's got everything else. Our money, our time, everything. And it's what Paul called in Romans 12, being a living sacrifice, laying yourself on the altar every day as a living sacrifice to God. These folks had surrendered their lives already to God. They belonged to Jesus. And when Jesus has got a hold of your heart, he's got a hold of everything else. So we must give from a surrendered life, but also from a sacrificial heart. Now, I'm not going to have you turn there, but I'm, I'm going to read Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. You all know it. Now, as Jesus sat opposite the treasury, 
and saw how the people put money into the treasury and how many were rich and how much they put in. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites. Now, remember we said that the more valuable a coin was, the thicker and heavier it was? The word mite there comes from the Greek word lepta, and that's a word that's translated thin. Two mites was equal to about an eighth of a cent. An eighth of a cent. And I would imagine that when she threw in those two mites, they didn't make any noise at all. And yet, even though she didn't draw the attention of men, which is not what she wanted to do anyways, who was watching this whole thing? The Lord Jesus Christ. Look, Jesus said, you can't give a, give a cup of cold water to one of my disciples in my name, but what you won't receive your reward. Interesting, isn't it? So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all these who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. If we give out of our abundance, that could be generosity, depending on how much we give. And that's good. That's not bad. When I give out of my abundance, it simply means I take some of what I have to give to others. But it doesn't mean I'm going without anything. I mean, I can still go to the show that week. I can still go out to eat. I can still do the things I want to do and buy the things I want to do. I'm not really going without, even though I'm generous. And that's not bad. It's good. It's better, though, to be sacrificial. The widow, she, didn't, she wasn't just generous. She was sacrificial. She gave everything, which meant she went without some food. She went without some necessities. And Jesus said it's much better to give sacrificially than even generously. Why? Because, again, sacrificial giving teaches us to put others first and to trust God more. When I give sacrificially, I'm doing without. And maybe I give something that uh, maybe God lays on my heart to give the last bit of money I've saved for the rent and for groceries to give to somebody else in need. And I say, well, Lord, what am I going to do about the rent and food this week? God will say, trust me. Trust me. Put me first and trust me. It's forcing us to be other-centered. And our faith is built in the process. And I can't tell you how many people have testified to me when they have done that, because God asks us to do things like that all the time. And it's just little tests to see, are we going to trust the Lord, or are we going to take things into our own hands, you know? I was telling first service that almost eight years ago now, God opened the door for us to get on radio. We're just a little church. We don't have a lot of money. Yet God opened the door for us to go on radio. And so things are going well. But over the course of the next couple of years, our resources began to dwindle. And we were praying about this. The pastors and I, we were praying about it, praying about it. Lord, you know, you need to provide for this ministry, right? And it came down to we were one week away from having to get off the radio. And we purpose, we were not going to ask man for anything. We were not going to ask you guys. We were not going to make the need known. God opened the door for radio. Lord, if this was only a season and the season's over, we can live with that. Whatever you want to do. 
but we want to be good stewards. And so I met with the, one of the guys from the radio station. Uh, what options do we have? Could we cut back to 15 minutes? Uh, could we go on Monday, Wednesday, Friday and cut a couple days out? None of those options were on the table. What he said was this. He said, look, we can find you a couple sponsors that will sponsor the program. I said, well, what does that look like? He said, well, you'll start teaching, and then uh, after, you know, maybe 10 minutes, we will go to a commercial, and you'll have to then advertise the sponsor's uh, product or services, you know, and, and they'll fund the radio show. And you know what, guys? I'm not saying that that's wrong to do. There's a lot of great ministries that do that. But I just didn't feel that's what God wanted. I didn't feel he wanted us. He opened the door for us to go on the radio to take half that time to be selling products. And so we just basically told this guy, look, thank you for the uh, option. But you know what? We're going to trust God. Where God guides, he provides. And if this is it, we're done. We'll come off. That's, we'll just trust God. You know, guys, it was a test. It was God putting us against the wall and saying, now, are you going to trust me? Or are you going to run to man when things get rough? What are you going to do? This is what Israel did. Remember in the Old Testament? How when the enemies came, and they, where'd they run to for help? Egypt, Assyria. At one point, God says, why do you run down to get help from man and horses? These are just flesh. You turn to me. I will help you. And so we just turned to the Lord. We didn't tell anybody our need at all. Just the pastors and I, we knew about it. We just prayed. After that meeting with that radio executive, where we told him, you know what, we're just going to trust God, whatever he wants. We're not going to turn the teaching of God's word into an infomercial. Do you know, two days later, we got a check in the mail from somebody that doesn't even go to the church anymore who did not know the need for $30,000. Two weeks later, we got another check from somebody who didn't go to the church anymore, who had moved out of the area, who did not know about the need, a check for another $30,000. God funded that whole year. Because he was testing us to see, is he going to get the glory for this work? Are we going to look to him? Is he not a big enough God to take care of his work? That i got to run to man for help? Do we have to do that? In our, when, when your back is up against the wall financially, it's a test. Who are you going to trust? Are you Are going to put everything on the credit card? Are you going to run to the bank? Who are you going to turn to? Are you going to trust God to take care of it? Because if you do, he will. All right, quickly, number three, principles of right giving. Giving must be seen as a gift of grace toward others. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 6 and 7. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. He calls their, their gift of money to the saints in Jerusalem a gift of grace. But as you abound in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and all diligence, and in your love for us... See that you abound in this grace also. Again, he calls this offering an offering of grace. Grace means unmerited favor, undeserved blessing. Everything God gives to us, it's by his grace. God owes us nothing. We deserve nothing from him. Something we all have to understand. God owes us nothing. Everything he gives us, starting with salvation, and then everything he gives us after that, is a gift of his grace. In other words, we don't deserve it, but God gives it to us freely because he loves us. And God is saying that our gifts to others must be gifts of grace. They can't have strings attached to them. This especially is true when we give to others and we look to God and say, Okay, now God, 
See what I did for you here? See what a nice thing I did for you? Help that poor guy eat this. I expect you not to be nice to me and give me this or that. See, God will not be any man's debtor. First of all, he can't be our debtor because everything we have, he gave us already. Then we give it to others. We, he doesn't know us. It was his in the first place. And yet, even though we take what he gives to give to others, he rewards us in eternity as if it was ours to give. That's something, man. Our giving won't be accepted by God if it's an attempt to earn his love, favor, or to butter him up to do things for us because we've done something nice for him. And finally, this is a big one. New Testament giving is not a matter of law, but of love. Verse 8, Paul said, I speak not by what? Commandment. Commandment. But I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Paul is saying, I am not speaking by commandment. Folks, I do not believe New Testament giving is mandatory. I believe it's voluntary. I don't believe that the New Testament believer is under the law of tithing anymore. Tithing was a law for those under the Old Covenant. It was a law for those who were free men who earned a living and owned property. And if you were a free man, a farmer will say, then whatever crops you grew, a tenth of that, the tithe, belonged to God. We are not free men and women. We are the slaves of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that all over the New Testament. We are his slaves. Jesus Christ is our master. Paul says, we no longer belong to ourselves. We were bought with a price. We are to glorify him with everything we have. In fact, all that we have has been given to us by him. It belongs to him. We don't really own anything, technically. That's why Paul the Apostle called the stewards. You know what a steward is? A steward was somebody that took care of another man's property but didn't own anything himself. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, What do you have that hasn't been given to you by God? Now, if he has given it to you, why do you take credit for what you have? Why do you think it's yours? Folks, besides, if we were still under the law when it came to our giving to God and it was mandatory, guess what? It wouldn't be done out of joy. Anything you have to do, you're not going to do with joy. If it's a law, if it's mandated, you're not going to do it with joy. That's why Paul said in chapter 9, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians, So let each one give as he what? Purposes in his own heart. If tithing was still around today, Paul wouldn't have said that. He would have said, look, you, it's not up to you. You've got to give 10% to God. He said, no, I don't speak by commandment. You're not under the law. So let each one give as he purposes in his own heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. We all know the Greek word for cheerful means hilarious, right? If you can't give to God out of hilarity... What does that mean? And I'm not talking about holy laughter where you're falling down acting weird. If you can't give to God with this in mind, I get to, you mean to tell me I get to use unrighteous mammon, money that's only good for this life, I get to use it now to invest in the work of God, to give to God, to to build his kingdom, and he rewards me for eternity for that investment? Yeah. And again, I'm not investing in a bad way. The motive has got to be right. You give to God and the work of God because you love people and you want to glorify God. 
But God says, you give to me, I will give back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. God will not be any man's debtor. So look, as we bring this to a close, we have to stop looking at our resources as our resources. And start looking at everything we own as belonging to him. Therefore, it's not every week, all right, God, here's your portion, and I can keep the rest. It's basically, Lord, everything I have belongs to you. How much do you want? How much can I keep? And when you have that mindset, let me just tell you this, you are really growing in your relationship with Christ. Because giving, when done out of the right heart, is not only good, it's a demonstration of God's character and operation. Part of God's character is that he gives. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, and gave what was most precious to him, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in Jesus would not perish in hell but have everlasting life. It is in the nature of God to give out of love. For God so agape, loved the world that he gave. If you are a Christian, you have the heart of God in you. And that heart should want to look around to meet needs. One last scripture. 1 John three seventeen and 18. John said, But whoever has this world's goods... And sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? Or in other words, how can that person really be a Christian? If you look around the body and you have, God's blessed you. You have money, you have resources, and you look at somebody who is struggling. I'm talking really hurting. Now listen, I'm not saying they're hurting because they're lazy or irresponsible. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. But God is saying, look, if you see others in need in the body, especially your family in Christ, that's the idea. And you have the resources, but you say to them, look, I'll be praying for you. Hope that works out for you. And you don't help them financially. What love is that? How does God's love really abide in you? How can you call yourself a Christian? Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue. (laughs) Not just with words, but in deed and in truth. You realize in 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love chapter, when Paul is defining love, every one of those words is a verb. Because love is action-oriented. Love does. It doesn't just say. So giving, right giving, very important, guys. Important to the heart of God if it's done with the right motives. Next week, God willing, we'll take the next part of this section, a section that we're calling Right Praying, as we look at what Jesus taught us about the proper way to pray. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that your word gives light. It gives clarity. It gives us guidance into knowing what is right, what is wrong, what you want us to be doing, what you don't want us to be doing, and even in the good things that we do, that we have the right heart when we do them. Lord, help us because we are all selfish by nature. Even after we get saved, we're not delivered completely from selfishness. But Lord, it's a characteristic of you, of your nature, that we be unselfish and others focused. Give us a heart, Lord, that is generous but even sacrificial. Teach us, Lord, what it means to love people so much that we're willing to do without to help them have what they need. 
What a privilege, Lord. You allow us to take unrighteous mammon and use it in this life where you will give to us eternal rewards in heaven. Giving, Lord, is not something you need. It's something we need to do. And it really blesses us, Lord. Although that should not be the motive. Give us a heart that just simply wants to glorify you and help others. We just thank you, Lord, for your generosity and sacrifice toward us by sending your Son to die for our sins, that we might go to heaven. Give us grace, Lord, to die for others, that they might also go to heaven by our example as we live this life like Jesus did. We just thank you, Lord. We ask all this in his precious name. Amen.